Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we'll be discussing the stained glass windows. My name is Alyssa, and I work in the reference department of the Scranton Public Library. I received my master's degree from Simmons University in archives management, which is a branch of the library and information science field. Today our guest is Jess. Hey everyone, I am the director of community engagement. As a continuation of last week, we are going to talk today about the stained glass windows for Constable Montmorency, Catherine de' Medici, Francis II, and what a Grolleresque binding actually is. We are going to start with the windows going up the stairs into the reference department from the front door. Two of the windows that are included in this section of windows are for Anne de Montmorency, who was the Marshal and Constable of France and served under five French kings, including Francis I, Henry II, and Francis II. They are located in the center panels on the top and bottom. The window that we're going to primarily focus on is described as the 16th century arms of Montmorency, which is on the top middle section of the windows by the stairs. I'm going to pull up a photo of it for you. Thank you, because I'm trying to think of what it looks like from memory, <laughs> and it's not working. <laughs> it is this one. Oh, okay. It looks like there's a crown on top. Yes. All right. Um, so that is actually a baron's coronet, and a coronet is a hat that is worn during coronation services. Oh, that's cool. And then it looks like, almost like the center looks like a shield, and then there's spades inside of it. So the spades are actually 16 blue eagles surrounded by a baron's coronet that we talked about on top. Oh. On the tiles that I found that have the same yeah. sort of emblem, they were found at the Musée de la Ceramique, which is located in Rouen, which is the capital city of the Normandy region of France. Oh, wow. On the tiles themselves, the cross in the center, while it's white, mm -hmm. on our stained glass window, is actually red. Uh, the tiles were created in 1542, so that puts it right in the 16th century, as the description on our window says. Mm -hmm. There's the Order of St. Michael collar that goes around. Oh, and what so, is that? The Order of St. Michael was a symbolic order established by Louis XI in 1469 as a dynastic order of chivalry. Oh. So I was able to find an example of a badge from the order on the Metropolitan Museum of Arts website. If you look closely, you can see these odd-shaped yeah. shapes in the collar. Those are actually meant to be scallops. Scallops? Yep. Okay. As in, that, like, the shells. That's kind of like what, that's kind of what I thought it looked like. Either that or shrimp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can tell, yeah, it does look like shells. Yes. They're scallop shells connected by gold around. Oh. The bottom window in the center is also the arms of Constable Montmorency. And these are slightly different. There's no eagles present, but... The collar of the Order of St. Michael is actually more complete than what we see in the top one. Mm. So it has a little oval at the bottom of the collar, and that would have originally held an image of the Archangel Michael putting down Satan as a show of religious faith. Oh, wow. 
The Andy Montmorency, who I mentioned was a marshal and constable of France uh, himself, he was extremely wealthy and had multiple residences all around France. And in terms of art, he was very interested in Italian sculpture, tapestries, and medals. As for literary pursuits, all I was able to really find was that he had a large collection of maps. Oh, okay. Interesting, though. So it's just interesting that he was included. It probably was that he served and worked under many rulers of France that were very influential in the arts. And one of those was Francis II. Francis ascended to the throne when King Henry died in 1559, and Francis was 15 at this time. He was a sickly child, and that opened up an opportunity for his wife, who was Mary, Queen of Scots, to have a strong influence on his reign. I believe it was her uncle that was very influential and tried to control everything. Mm -hmm. France did not like this, so it led to major conflicts that continued until Francis II died of an ear infection in December of 1560 at the age of 16. He was only king for one year. Poor guy. Yeah, it wasn't good. Oh, boy. I feel bad for him. Yeah, he, he was a very sickly child and had a lot of medical issues growing up, so the ear infection kind of is what did him in. Unfortunately, it wasn't a good time. No, it doesn't sound it. He was succeeded by his brother, Charles IX. I'm not going to get into him, but he also has a window in the reference department on the top left corner of the bottom set of windows. So that main section that you look at when you glance through the computers, mm-hmm. that is where his window is on the top left. Oh, that's his brother's window. Okay. Yes. So in terms of the relationship with arts and books, I wasn't able to find much about Francis II's relationship directly. It does seem that his wife, Mary Queen of Scots, collected titles in French and English under the guidance of the Cardinal of Lorraine, who was her uncle and the one that had the influence over Francis II's reign. Mm. The majority of titles in her library, which was a substantial size for the time, has disappeared, but a book of hours that she owned was recently rediscovered. So it is believed that this book was sent to her when she was imprisoned by Elizabeth I, who believed that Mary was making an attempt at the English throne. Mm -hmm. Mary would have this book on her when she was executed on February 8th of 1587, Although Francis II does not seem to have been a major patron of the arts, his wife certainly was. Okay, so there's that connection. Yes. For the stained glass window. Okay. So I kind of love Francis II's window. It is located second from the left in the top row of that main set of windows in the reference department. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a goldfish. Oh, that's great. It's It's summery. Yeah. So it's actually a dolphin. Oh. So it's a gold dolphin that is surrounded by a rectangle with little designs in each corner. Mm-hmm. And I was able to find a very similar binding in the British Library's database of book bindings, mm-hmm. which shows a dolphin in gold, but it has a crown on it. Oh, and okay. The cover of the book is only identified as Debrebus. The only difference is that our window does not have the crown. Okay. So I will pull up oh, yes, I the photo. Okay, it is this one. Oh, it's that one. Yes. Okay. All and right. I will be posting all of these images 
on the slideshow for Facebook and Instagram Perfect. as well. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. And do you want to take a guess why it was a dolphin? Oh man, I don't know enough of my Francis history. Um, he liked them. <laughs> In a way. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Francis II's symbol is a dolphin without a crown due to him being heir at the time of the creation of the binding. So in France, when you were heir to the throne, you were the dolphin. Oh, okay. All right. Very cool. I went into a little bit of the history of that because it seems kind of odd to Mm -hmm. English and the traditions that we have in terms of thinking about monarchy Mm -hmm. to have a title that isn't a prince or princess. So the symbol itself of the dolphin was developed by the dolphins of Viennois, who created it for the use by their family. And they were the sovereigns of the province of Dauphine in southeastern France. Mm. In 1349, the title and symbol were sold to Philippe VI, who was one of the members of the Valois family that Francis was also a part of. It was sold under the condition that the heir to the French throne would be called the Dauphin, and this title would continue to be used until Louis-Antoine de Bourbon, who would be exiled during the July Revolution of France in the 1830s. When this happened, his father, Charles X, was ousted in favor of Louis-Philippe, the Duc d'Orléans. So this ended the Bourbon line to the French throne. And oh, wow. The Bourbons and the Valois family were cousins. So that's how they both were able to use the dolphin title. Okay. The symbol itself looks like a fish. It very much looks like a fish. It It has scales, (laughs) pointy fins that we're not used to seeing with dolphins today. Yeah. And part of this was because it was rare for dolphins to be caught near England or France. Mm-hmm. So it was all based on writings that people would have. Okay. And kind of like, there's this creature that's in the water and it has a pointy nose <laughs> and fins. So people would take what they knew came from the ocean, which was primarily fish, yeah. and reinterpreted it into the dolphin that we see on the window oh, okay. and on the symbols today. Got it. It really does look like a goldfish. It does. It, do, it does. <laughs> so if you see the goldfish, just know that's a dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next I'm going to take a slight detour into mm-hmm. the term Grohler-esque. Okay. That is mentioned as a descriptor on multiple windows yes. throughout the reference department and the library itself. So the term comes from a bookbinding style of Jean Grolier, who worked as the treasurer of the French army and ambassador to Rome and the treasurer of France. His real passion, though, was his collection of books, which he started collecting in 1512, and it would eventually contain 3,000 items. Oh, wow. Yes, so he was rich. He could patron the arts. Yeah. He just kept collecting more and more books. Mm -hmm. And to mark these items as part of his collection, Grohler would often decorate them with ornate book bindings that contain gold on the first and last pages. William Matthews, who's quoted in Jean Grohler de Sevier, Viscount de Agussi, some account of his life and his famous library, written by William Loring Andrews in 1892, describes the designs on his books as 
an interlaced framework of geometric figures, circles, squares, and diamonds with scroll work running through it. And many of these ornate designs served as inspiration for at least four of the windows in our library. And I, I can think of one that's one of my favorites that, yeah, yeah, yeah it's up in reference. Yeah. Yes. Which one is it? It's, oh boy, we have to go out there and look. <laughs> Do, let yeah. me go out and look real quick. Okay. While she is looking, I will describe some of them that we have. On the stairs going up to the reference department, there are at least two that are in blue that have a date in the center in diamond quartz-like shape surrounded by all sorts of scroll work that is in teals and blues. Okay, so it's the top right and the top left in the reference barrel vault room. It has the okay. nice oval shape on the top right, mm -hmm. and then, oh, I love it. Yes. On the top left and right? Yes. Those are for Henry III and Charles IX. Oh, okay. Yes. But the one underneath the one for Charles IX, mm -hmm. that's like blue and gold and has yeah. the flowers and then the star, mm -hmm. that's a Grohler-esque. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so it's much more angular. Yeah. The ones we are going to talk about in the next section are on the stairs leading up to the reference department. Okay. On the bottom left corner is a window described as a Grohler-esque binding, and that one looks remarkably similar to one on the opposite corner that is for Catherine de' Medici. Mm. Both have a red diamond shape that is in the background with scroll work in gold kind of going through it. Okay. So they are these ones. Oh, yes. Okay, that makes sense now. Yes, so the one I'm showing Jess right now is for Catherine de Medici. And Catherine was the mother of Henry III, Francis II, and Charles IX, who we all have windows for. Okay. She was born in Florence in 1519 to the Medici family. So it's Lorenzo de' Medici, and they had a legacy of creating banks and being major patrons of arts. Mm -hmm. And then she would be married to King Henry II of France. Okay. She would become involved in the ongoing conflicts between Catholics and Protestants in France, and then she would die of old age in 1589. Sensing that the end of her children's rule would be near, before her death, she worked hard to ensure that the Bourbon heir, Henry IV, would be established to the throne after Henry III's death, which happened. So her influence just kept going. Kept going, and she was very powerful at the time. Catherine's relationship with books was extensive. She was an active patron of the arts and would often incorporate the books of relatives in positions of power into her own library. So if they were like, we're going to donate these, she would just kind of take them and be like, they're mine now, yeah. and just include them in her own library. <laughs> At the time of her death, her collection contained about 4,500 items that covered multiple languages, including Latin and Greek. The topics she read about included theology, philosophy, grammar, mathematics, history, medicine, and law. She was fond of Dante and Machiavelli, as she had multiple copies of their works in her collection. There was also a section on astronomy and astrology, as she was close friends with Nostradamus, who she would have employed to create horoscopes for her children, and many believe that he predicted Henry II's untimely death in the jousting match. Wow. 
So in terms of the binding, most of her books were bound in vellum and ornamented with miniatures. She would often have the designs include gold and silver. I wasn't able to find one that directly lines up with the window, but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for her books as she had so many and they were so ornamental. When she died, a portion of her collection was separated to pay down substantial debts that she had left behind. Jacques-Auguste de Thau saved much of her collection, which became incorporated into the Bibliothèque Nationale de France in Paris. Wow. So, she had a lot. <laughs> she, yeah, apparently. Holy. Wow. Yeah, so as you can see from the past two weeks, all of the windows have major literary influences, mm-hmm. and people that patron the arts and loved books as both a value of the ornamentation and artwork and the content inside. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to, you know, I we do understand that the architecture of the building itself has a French influence, of course, French Renaissance. Is that why they decided to go with the French influence on the stained glass windows? I wasn't able to find any documentation about the influences of the windows. Okay. It does seem like much of them have French connections. Yeah. And I imagine that probably played into it since the building is based off the Musée de Cluny, which is in Paris. Yeah. So I would imagine they kind of stuck with that theme and ran with it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So because everyone is kind of French or a French adjacent. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to take a really better thorough look <laughs> on the stained glass windows to really take everything we've just talked about and really think about it because um, it never really dawned on me how extensive and detailed the stained glass windows were and even the background on it and how it ties into history and culture. You just want to talk about, you know, how this building is here in Scranton and there's so much French and influence and... and I, I just, I, I'm, I'm taking it all in, is all I can say. I, I didn't, I, obviously these windows are beautiful, they're stunning, but I never really understood everything behind them, and uh, it's really worth coming to see it on your own, and yes. taking your time to see it. Yeah, I was kind of similar. I knew the name Catherine de Medici, I had heard of a few of the others, but I never really took a deep dive into their literary interests. Yeah. It was kind of always a surface level um, art history type mm-hmm. of a knowledge that I had. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't so much a why would they actually be placed here. Yeah. So it was very interesting. I learned a lot throughout the, all the research. Yeah. I, I learned a lot just in these couple, <laughs> yeah. in the half hour that we've been here. It's amazing. So that concludes our episode this week. And we'll be taking the next two weeks off in order to research and prepare for the next section of episodes. Keep an eye on our social media pages and our website at lclshome.org to see when the next episode comes out. In the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything at all, please send me an email at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or feel free to give the library a call at 570-348-3000. Thank you. See you next time.